Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for today's episode of Life with Gwen. We have some very special guests today, and I am honored that they are here. Uh, with me to my immediate right is Greg O'Brien, uh, an award-winning journalist and the author of this book, On Pluto, Inside the Mind of Alzheimer's. And He's here with Sean Corcoran, who is the executive producer of uh, a new podcast called The Forget The Forgetting. And it is about living with Alzheimer's, as well as about the recent research and what support groups are trying to do. It's a mix of both things. It's co-hosted by Greg and by David Schenk, who is uh, in New York, so he couldn't be with us today. But uh, Greg is here uh, in Brewster, right, Greg? That's right, for so, a long time. And we um, we had some trouble getting Greg into the studio because everybody knows Greg. And uh, he has made it his mission. And I had to find the bathroom. <laughs> That's and, all I'm going to uh, say, okay, I'm not going to go deeper. He, uh, he has made it his mission since being uh, diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease to share his experiences with the world and to, to try to help other people who are going through this. There are an estimated 5.5 million people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's in, in the United States, and about 200,000 of those were diagnosed before age 65, as Greg was. It's been, it looks like, just about a decade that you've been yeah, fighting five, this. Yeah, nine, eight years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and it, it, it um, was precipitated, uh, the doctors say, by um, two serious head traumas, which I wasn't supposed to survive. And you read a lot about football, so if anyone's watching it, and, and uh, I'm a jock, and so I played football and soccer and all that, but the hits to the head, uh, will not cause uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, but if you're predisposed to have it, in my case, I lost my maternal grandfather, my mother, my paternal uncle, and before my father died, he too was diagnosed with uh, dementia. If you're predisposed to have it, it will bring it on early. I see. Now, did... Uh do you know when you were had? Was it MRIs, uh, head scans yeah, that you were having? Yeah, it was. Uh, um, well, uh, as a journalist, investigative reporter, I and who at the time was also caregiver for my mother and father, dealing in stages of the disease, um, and seeing my grandfather, I noticed the symptoms, and it scared the hell out of me, Gwen, and. Um, I wanted to be in denial, and um, the great Mark Twain once said, "Denial ain't just a river in Egypt." And um, but after a while, I couldn't do my job as a writer and reporter and multitasking, as you know. And I couldn't be who I was because there isn't anything else I could do in life. And um, so I, I went to the doctors and had the clinical test from um, this Dr. Jerry Elowitz, Boston Cape Cod, that who also was the first to diagnose my mother. Um, and um, his diagnosis was, was Alzheimer's dementia. And then I had, through the neurologist, the a brain scan and spec scan that confirmed the diagnosis. And I also carry um, the Alzheimer's marker gene 
APOE4, and um, people can look that up. It's, um, it appears to be on both sides of the family. And, and uh, so at that point, the doctor said, um, you're a poster boy for this, and given also your head injuries, you're, you're not getting out of it. So ironically, my doctor told me to, um, to write about this. And, uh, and I started immediately, um, I have this cause this is my brain now and, um, the hard drive of my brain writing down everything I was afraid to forget and ended up with about 2000 pages of notes. And with the help of my good friend, Lisa Genova, who wrote the forward, still Alice, she lives in Chatham. Um, she helped guide me through it and William Martin. New York Times bestselling author, uh, and and Leclerc on the Cape, another New York Times bestselling author. They guided me, and and we put this together. You must give a heck of a dinner party because those are some really interesting friends you have there. Yeah, I wanted to know because we know there are many people, especially with our baby boomer demographic here on the Cape, many people who are either entering this journey, struggling through the middle of it, uh, perhaps in the end stages of it. Um, I wanted to know a little bit about your life day to day and also about um, how people that you that are friends or you've just met can be helpful to you. Um, you know, there are uh, days, Gwen, that my life sucks. Um, I also have prostate cancer and I'm not treating it and Alzheimer's um, breaks the body down and, and the, um, the mind is a control panel for the body and, uh, and I have no feeling now from my feet to my knees in part because brain signals not going down in parts of my hands and uh, I have spinal stenosis and scoliosis, just a breakdown of the body and was just uh, diagnosed with... Um, macular degeneration and glaucoma, which doctors now say are, or fear is connected to Alzheimer's because the eyes are the window to the mind. I saw that study. Uh, other than that, as they say in Boston, things are just pisser, if I could say that word. <laughs> but the great Bugs Bunny once said, don't take life too seriously because nobody gets out alive. And, and um, as a journalist uh, who took notes who has been inside the mind of Alzheimer's shame on me if I don't tell the story um, and also I tell people that I'm not doing this alone um, raised Irish Catholic most imperfect guy in the world committed every sin a man can commit but murder and adultery and I've been tested in both but God is is getting me through this and um, there are a couple times I think I told you before that um, I tried to leave the planet early, and I'm not, uh, excuse me, it's just hard to talk about. I'm not proud of that. But um, I heard God and others like Bill Belichick just said, do your job. So I, I, I take no credit for any of this. I'm just doing my job. And, 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 and guys like Sean and, and Lisa Genova and, and my family and my wife and my kids and, and all the people around me have um, – have been a tremendous support and I think that's what's needed and I just realized I didn't answer your question it's okay a lot I of times what was the question <laughs> so was. did I um, 
I'm going to ask Sean if he can tell us about an email that you received either after the first episode of the podcast was released or, or early on, because I think that email sort of sums up what you guys are trying to do with the podcast, The Forgetting. Yes. So we launched the first four episodes all at once. And within a few days, I got a note from someone saying, when is the next installment? These help me feel like I'm not so much alone. And it was, that's exactly what we're up to. We want, whether it's someone who's been recently diagnosed or someone who's in the midst of the disease or their family members or caregivers, as Greg often says, no one person is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's a family diagnosis. Everyone has to deal with it. And so we want people to be able to listen and hear Greg's stories and understand, wait, this, I, I can relate to this. Or, uh, or Greg's, uh, you know, we have Greg's sons coming on to talk about the relationship and how they deal with it uh, in a future installment and to, you know, maybe learn something from them or, again, feel like, you know, I'm not by myself. I think, Greg, from reading your book and, and from chatting with you beforehand, that one of the messages that you're making, uh, bringing out is that this is not just a disease of older people. Yeah, I, I think that's the most important part of, of my journey. Um, there's a wholly inaccurate stereotype of Alzheimer's. Um, there's a beginning stage, and I'm coming out of the beginning, going into the middle, and then there are all sorts of stages. In the end stage, which is the stereotype of Alzheimer's, where you're 80 years old, um, you don't remember anything, and, and you're incontinent. Well, there's a lot of times my uh, memory is gone in 30 seconds, and I am incontinent at times, but I'm not 80 years old, and I can still speak, although my writing and communication takes that much longer, but um, I could bring others in at my stage who could sit here and speak as well. It's a disease, Gwen, that takes 20 to 25 years to run its course, the doctors say. And the pathology can, and I know Sean's shaking his head, um, either that he's nervous, I'm going to say something bad, or he's agreeing. A little of both. <laughs> you have to laugh, folks. That's important in this. And the pathology, the doctors say, can begin when you're in your 40s without symptoms. You were 59 when you 59. were diagnosed. 59. This is a lifelong, not a lifelong, but a half-life disease. And um, you, you don't, and this is so important, um, you don't get Alzheimer's the day you're diagnosed. Just like when I had my cancer diagnosis, I didn't get cancer the day I was diagnosed. Someone you found it. it. Someone found it. So the person, and I hear this a lot from people, and God bless them, but it goes against the medical science. There, there are um, exceptions to everything. And um, uh, what, what I want to say is that uh, I just forgot what I was going to say. They're, 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 with, with, yeah, the person who says my mother and father was, were diagnosed and they died six, seven, eight years later, the reality is, in most cases, some exceptions, that that individual had Alzheimer's 10, 15 years before that and were afraid to talk about it. They were scared. Like cancer, we didn't talk about it. Like AIDS, we didn't talk about it. We need to bring Alzheimer's out of the closet 
And look, the train has left for me, Gwen, you know. Uh, but I'm worried about my grandkids, your grandkids, my children, your children, your children, grandkids. This is going to take out the next generation. I, I noticed that uh, uh, David Schenk in his book says that, that we're getting to a point where none of us can feel that we're immune from Alzheimer's, that, that uh, it's, it's a threat and to, to nearly everyone. We have a message. I just want, oh, this is like a welcoming message for you. This is from Paul Pronovo, our editor. It says, uh, thank you for sharing your story. And thank you, Sean, for spreading the word through this podcast the, the forgetting it uh, we're, we're honored to to help you uh, spread that word because Thank Thank we you, do Paul. think there's a huge audience of people who uh, who can benefit from feeling less alone I, I, I want to say because as journalists on the Cape as well as off Cape in Boston that, that you guys do an incredible job at the Cape Cod Times um, and um, it's it's well it's one of the best award-winning community newspapers in the country and and thank you for caring about this issue well thank you and I have to tell you I, I couldn't be prouder than the staff I work with now they're the good people um, I wonder we talked about the fact that uh, see I'm bringing some reporter notes with me as wow. well we talked about the fact that you make a plan for your day you make a strategy tell me about waking up well, it, it's because um, I think in terms of an old school guy, um, I think of my mind as a um, file cabinet and uh, everything, the who, where, what, when, why, and how is, you know, as a reporter, all arranged. And it's like in the middle of the night, someone went through and ranks, ransacked the files and threw them on the floor. And before I get out of bed in the morning, I have to kind of, reconstruct my day what's going on you know all the who where what when why and how and then um i'll go to the bathroom and there have been times when um i i and this is the thing about how the disease works um uh that that you know has nothing to do with being 80 years old i will i looked at at a bottle my brain told me that um it was mouthwash and it was rubbing alcohol that's frightening. And, um, and, and there was a time when uh, I reached for what I thought was my toothbrush, but it was my razor. My brain in the moment would not tell me, and that's part of, of the disease. Uh, another time, uh, uh, no, don't drive, I'm not supposed to drive now, and, but when I could, remember one time not long ago, I went to the dump in Brewster and uh, had a yellow Jeep at the time. Um, and uh, threw the trash away, and then I said, well, how do I get home? Yeah. My, Mary Catherine could get me, um, my son could get me, a friend will drive me. My yellow Jeep was right in front of me, and my brain in the moment would not tell me that it's my car. So there's a difference between um, not knowing uh, uh, losing your car keys and not knowing you have a car. And um, for those people who experience that other end of it, I would just urge them to get a clinical test because knowing there's a lot of baseball, I hate cliches, left to play in this disease when you get your diagnosis early on. There's not a lot of baseball left to play when you get your diagnosis in your late 70s or 80s 
and there are so many things I'm on legal limits for medication to slow it down there's exercise there's um, rebooting the brain there's things called and, and people should should um, so check this here because I had it down. <laughs> this is my brain here. Called and people should look it up. Um, cognitive reserve and something called neuroplasticity. And cognitive reserve is like an extra. If you exercise your brain, um, fuel tank like a boat to draw on. And neuroplasticity, the and I'm sure you know, but the doctors will say is the ability if you train your brain to recircuit your brain at times. So if you can't go from here to here, which happens to me all the time, the brain, which we really don't know how it works, will often, not always, find some other pathway. I, I, but you, you know, never I, know. But you never know yeah. if that's, you got to work at it. And, and you have to exercise your brain as you would your body. And is that something that you do with, with uh, by reading or something you do by seeing people and talking with them? Or? Well, I, I do it by uh, reading and writing. Uh, I um, and to write you have to read. Absolutely. So, um, so I uh, um, I write uh, probably about two hours at the end of the day when sundowning comes on, and they could look it up. It's a time of of, of greater confusion, and. Um, and then I, I, I try to exercise every day. Um, I, I work out in, in Orleans at, at, at uh, Fitness Revolution and Body Strong. Um, so again, you guys can all say hi to Greg when you're yeah, there. So I tell people, people say, well, what's, uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Because there are all these muscle men, and I used to have muscles. I just eat them now. And, and I said, my goal is to look good in a suit. And they said, bathing suit? I go, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> those days are gone. I have to say, you might have shaken me up if you'd showed up in a bathing suit today. I we would have had you on anyway. Yeah, but, right, uh, yeah. Well, Sean but it would have been a little surprising. So um, now I'm going to ask you a, a few questions, if you don't mind, no, about I'm yours. that I'm curious about because, you know, I – I have you to ask, and and you're seeing it from the inside. So, um, in, in addition to sort of setting, I think you had talked to before about setting a structure for your day, setting the alarm, getting up, doing things, and and uh, making sure that you don't just stay in bed for all the reasons we just talked about. But I wanted to um, also talk about if you're, you say sometimes if things close in on you, um, that you, you sometimes will experience rage. And, and yeah. uh, I'm wondering what the person you're with, whether it's somebody in your family or somebody you've just met, what's, what, what can we do to help? Well, two telltale situations are rage and withdrawal. And um, I used to be the my nickname was the senator from Cape Cod, the guy, Irish guy, who would go in and try to light up the room. And I, and I'm brain, told does. That's why we couldn't get <laughs> yeah, you in the yeah, studio. Yeah, but I could do it for a second. Now I do the drive-by because my mind, in, and people could look this up, um, in Alzheimer's can't process noise. So the noise is coming from all different places. It's like the... And Psycho, the movie, when someone was about to be killed, that 
screeching noise that you heard. And so I withdraw from family. I withdraw from friends. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I can speak to a group or I can do this, but if I, I could walk through the, your newsroom and say, hi, how you doing? But if someone wanted to, um, with four or five people there with all sorts of noise coming at me, I couldn't, I couldn't process it. Another thing is the rage. You better one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, one-on-one -on -one too, in small groups. And, and people, God bless them, a lot of people understand that. And um, uh, I, I was just, I was out in Scottsdale, I was asked to speak to a group of about 350, 400 medical professionals. And my wife is from Phoenix and we had a family outing and there were 60 people there and I knew them all. I couldn't remember a lot of their names and I kind of sat by myself, but what was cool, Gwen, is that some family members and friends would come up and sit next to me and talk. Mm -hmm. And that's what needs to happen. The other side is when the light in the brain goes out. Sometimes you feel it coming on and sometimes you don't. It's like a, a light is flickering. Uh, you know, think of being in a living room and you have a plug and it's loose and the light is flickering mm -hmm. and then boom, it goes off. And, um, and you never know when that's going to happen. And you go into intense, horrific rage where um, I take the Lord God's name in vain. Like you, I, I should be turned into a pillar of salt because, um, excuse me, I, I believe God's the only one who understands. So, um, but you just, it's inexplic inexplicable rage that's um, very upsetting to people. And I try to withdraw myself, but there are times when I can't and my kids see it and my wife sees it and it's very scary. And I think you said to me earlier that one of the things you can do is to simply, for the other person, to simply take energy out of the situation, not confront you, not yeah. try to tell you to stop, but just let it play out as well, long as it has to for a little yeah, while. Yeah, or uh, this is advice. I'm in, in, in my work here, just Amira, this is advice to others too, that um, to kind of lower the decibel rather than yell and scream because mm -hmm. it can bring you, but there's going to be explosions. And, and I think, I don't know, but what happens in this explosion is that you explode, and then when someone doesn't explode next to you, after the chemicals or whatever it is kind of dissipate, then you realize, wait a minute, um, this was Alzheimer's or Al. And because it, and it blows person, over. It's it does, but yeah. it comes back. There's there's a point in one of the installments of the podcast where Greg tells a story about he was in a rage and his wife said to him, "Why won't you let us help you?" And that just he said stopped him, oh. and it made him realize, "Wait a second, this is a rage," and it kind of brought him back. You asked another question at the beginning: What can people say? What can people do? I. I used to work at WCAI, the public radio station in Woods Hole. I did a lot of reporting about Alzheimer's disease, talked to a lot of people with the disease and their caregivers. One thing the caregivers say consistently is they are abandoned by family, by friends. And the reason is perhaps understandable. I don't want to see the person I know different. I don't want to see them suffering through this disease. I don't want to experience them not knowing me or whatever the fear 
is. But that's maybe the reason, but it may not be. A, so we should put ourselves out. Well, one thing Greg will say, and the next installment comes out on Friday, and I just edited it the other day. He, he talks about, as he says, the drive-by. People will come by and say, hey, you look good. You look good. Hey, nice to see you. But there is no real deep inquiry into mm -hmm. how you are, how's your family, come and sit with you until the, maybe the person can't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. So the drive-by, because you're uncomfortable, is understandable, perhaps, maybe not the right thing to do. And I've heard, oh, you go. <laughs> well, it, you go. it got back to uh, people are uncomfortable, and, and, and I get it, but I talk to a lot of and I know hundreds and hundreds, I, I, I um, served on the National Alzheimer's Association Early Onset Board in Chicago. I'm on the board of Us Against Alzheimer's in D.C. and the Cure Alzheimer's of Boston. And all the people I know with this disease are tired of people saying, you look so good because um, Alzheimer's has nothing to do with, if God bless you with good looks, it has nothing to do with the disease. And I get so angry, I know this is, not appropriate to say, but I tell people now, okay, because I'm really pissed off when they say it, I say, I'm going to look better in a coffin than you do right now. <laughs> you know, that's it. it, it, and, it and it doesn't, also, if, if you were born, God gave you a, a high IQ. Alzheimer's doesn't lower your IQ. It makes it very difficult more and more to the point where you can't do it anymore to connect the brain cells. Right. And has nothing to do with IQ, has nothing to do with looks, and gets back to brain health and trying to exercise your brain so you keep it as active as possible so you might be able to reconnect on some level. So you want to talk about current events. You want to, you know, yeah. um, you want people to treat you the way they did before they knew you were yeah, um, right. dealing with Alzheimer's. Yeah. It uh, and I, you gave a tip. Uh, I'm at the point where I've uh, read the books and 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 talked with you guys, so I don't remember when this came up. But I noticed this morning when you were greeting all these people you've known for years that that they knew to extend a hand and say, "Hey, it's Cindy." It's well, you know, that's that's important. That helps. Yeah, that helps yeah. me. I mean, you know, it, it helps all of us as we know more and more people. And and uh, so uh, if and you're people reconnecting, come back, there are times now. And this is so similar for everyone on this journey. 70% of the time, if I'm in a place where I don't expect to see someone, I won't remember their name. Sometimes I will, but I'll remember the face and, you know, I, and they'll come up and they could tell and they'll, mm -hmm. they'll reintroduce themselves. Right. And that's. But occasionally you'll have someone who doesn't do that. And you told, he told a very disturbing story of someone who walked up to him and said, you remember me, Greg. You remember who I am. And he, I'm sorry. That I, just seems mean. I mean, for and anybody and to do one, that. Do you, do, you remember, do you recall the story? Yeah, it was very upsetting. I, I could recognize this woman. Her mother had Alzheimer's and um, who was in her 80s. And I tried to explain, well, first of all, your mother's in her 80s. I'm in my 60s. And secondly, your mother probably had Alzheimer's 25 years ago and you didn't know it, but you know my name. And I, I go, and I said, I'm really sorry, I don't, but I, I reckon, you know, and it was, it was, it was very, I got some counseling on that from some friends and some doctors to say this really so upset me. 
And um, I forgive the person who said it, but um, it's it's just not understanding. It's the stereotype of this. And and the doctors will tell you, and, and Sean will say, there are no two types of Alzheimer's that are the same, like snowflakes. My mother, who died of the disease, um, could speak, as I said before, like me at this stage. And she got to the stage where um, she was done. And I think God, the universe, whatever you want to define, when your time is and you're done, you can go quickly. And um, there was a scene in the hospital I mentioned in my book where my dad was rushed to the hospital. My mom was telling me, I can't do this anymore. And I didn't want her to check out. And, and, and he was sitting in a wheelchair and bleeding profusely, um, internal bleeding onto the floor. And my mother saw it and she grabbed my hand and she said, um, I, I said, I'm going to get the doctor, mom, because I could tell. And she goes, uh, Greg, would you take over? Just that clearly. And I said, I am. I'm going to get the doctor, mom. And she squeezed my hand as hard as she could. And she said, no, Greg. I'm the oldest boy in the family. Would you take over? And I looked in her eyes, and it was like someone pulled a curtain down. And within four minutes, she curled up like a kitten in a fetal position in my father's bed at the hospital, Cape Cod Hospital. He was in a wheelchair. Eight months later, they were both dead. And just getting back to what I said a few minutes ago, there's a different journey for everyone. My mother held on. She taught me to fight. And as I said before, I'm not proud of it. There were two times recently when I tried to leave this world. And there were a time when I will turn to someone and say, will you take over? Um, but lying down in football and wrestling is a position of defeat. And um, I just like Bill Belichick, I just want to do my job. We are um, coming up against time, but I want to go a little bit longer today because my instinct tells me that a lot of you probably want to hear these stories because you have these stories to tell. And, and hopefully more people who are watching this show, who are more importantly following um, the forgetting, um, which is very easy to find, just search for it on your podcast, um, will be able to, to feel less alone because like cancer used to be just the C word, we were all afraid to talk about it. People are surviving it now. So uh, there's a need for research in Alzheimer's, but there's also a need for the planning for the people who are living in it now. I saw you and Mary Catherine on CBS this morning, Greg, and um, it was a very interesting subject because it was about marriage and relationships. It was about being in love and uh, there, there was. Um, they were encouraging. They were encouraging the couples who were sharing their stories, including you and Mary Catherine, um, to to talk about what you want in life when you do get to a point where you're not able to to uh, um, to be there to to participate. And I thought it was very interesting that uh, this came about because uh, of B Smith who is right. is living with Alzheimer's and her husband and and her husband has a friend who is living with them now and and uh, um, you know it's a, a caregiving team and it, it drew a lot of criticism from people who were not living in that situation you know 
So um, I found it interesting, Greg, that you said uh, you wanted Mary Catherine to to be happy and to marry someone who was was smarter than you, but you said you didn't want it to be someone who was good looking. You know, I, in this disease, everyone um, has to chart their own journey. And, um, you know, I, 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 I know the B. Smith story and it's a difficult, complicated story, um, but you have to chart your own journey. And in our case, uh, <laughs> kind of sucks for her, but Mary Catherine is stuck with me. But I did say when, when I'm not here, um, and I think I, maybe I, I'm not treating my cancer. So I'm, there's, there's no cure for this disease. So I don't want to take my family to the nursing home. So, um, but that the one condition is she doesn't marry a handsome guy. She know. already that, did that. I know. Is that a bad thing to say? I'm not sure. That's just, I'm just saying. I think it's a charming thing, and and shows me that your sense of uh, humor, your your uh, camaraderie, is is uh, hard at work. Uh, even well, you if can't, sometimes you, once you lose in, in this disease, it's so important, and I think this is important. There's no cure right now, and despite everyone. And I like the guy, George Bush, but remember when he got on the, the aircraft carrier and he declared victory? Oh, yes. The, you see that with medical people and some pharmaceuticals. We're years away from victory. And what does victory look like? Have we cured cancer? Have we cured heart disease? No. So um, it's going to be a long, long time. So you have to, until they get to that spot, walk in faith, hope, and humor. And I explained the hope and the faith part, the humor part, and maybe I'm blessed because I was Irish, but am Irish. But um, if, if, if you can't laugh, um, then an enemy owns you. And you have to, I look at this enemy as a demon, and if you can't stare it down and laugh and say, you can't have me today and keep that sense of humor, the demon takes over and it's part of the process that my mother taught me on how to do this. She also, I know you're short on time. She taught Don't me worry about it. how to um, uh, speak and write from the heart. In Alzheimer's, my brain used to be my best friend, but now there's no chance for reconciliation. And my mother taught me to speak and write from the heart. She would say, has anyone said, tell me what's on your heart? Speak from your heart. Poets write from the heart. And I've learned now to bypass to the extent that I can my brain and write and speak from the heart. And, and in doing, then I believe that's through the grace of God. But in doing that, my writing has become more lyrical. And if I could maybe close with two anecdotes about my mother, who's the hero of my Please life. Please do, but before you do that, I just want to say, read on Pluto because your lyrical writing, your descriptive writing is amazing, and it also has all these little word, clever word plays that uh, I have to believe are intentional because you wrote this. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and let me say, if you don't mind, Greg, um, so we've, this is classic, Greg O'Brien, and we have a lot of this in the podcast where you have these poignant moments 
but you also have a lot of humor moments. What we don't want is to just have a very sad, morose kind of experience with the podcast. We have a wonderful stories, and the, and the relationship between David Shank and Greg is also a major part, because Greg will come out and say it. He knows this disease. He will ask Greg, you seem to be talking about suicide a lot. Let's talk about that. Or Greg, how are you relating to your, to your wife and, and, and to your children? Or, hey, Greg, you owe me 100 bucks. <laughs> you know, this, this running joke. And, and then Greg was telling a, an Alzheimer's joke the other day. And I've had other caregivers say, I will tell Alzheimer's jokes. And people will freak out. But I need to have humor. I always had humor. Why should I stop having humor now at this point in my life when I'm facing something challenging? So we recorded Greg over a period of about a year and a half, about 10, 11 different podcasts. And we're rolling them out now. We're going to have a finale. We'll have a final installment of this first season where we'll hear from Greg now, contemporary Greg and David. And then we'll have another season. And we'll keep doing this until Greg is done doing it. He doesn't want to do it anymore. But you you can hear the progress of the disease, unfortunately. Uh, but there's there's value there's value there. So you have no filter in in this disease, and my brain just said, well, by then David will have Alzheimer's, so he could <laughs> he could continue, so it, it won't die. You have the all Alzheimer's channel. Yeah, but um, just just on, on the faith and the hope, because um, you know, hey. We're all going to die someday, so um, that's just life, you know. But uh, so my mom, the toughest day was to put her in the nursing home after I was there at the bedside for my father and, and, and then my mother. And my mom is in the nursing home, was epic then in Brewster, very fine place. It's someone else runs it now. I forget who runs it, but a very fine place. And um, I got a call one night that she was very, toward the end, she was very upset. And um, she was scared. It's 9.30, 10, and um, it was two miles away, so I drove down. Uh, and um, she was in her bed, and uh, my mom had 10 kids, five miscarriages, second-generation Irish like my father was, and she was like five foot four, and 110 pounds, beautiful, bright, bright woman. And um, so I woke her up and I said, Mom, I, I, I didn't mean to wake you up. I heard you were scared. want to let you know I was there. And she said, no, thank you, Greg. I'm glad you're here. I wrote about this in here. And it was the first time in about eight months she knew my name. And there, and I think this is an important point about this disease, about the heart. There was a continence to her. And I don't know if anyone, and I'm sure many who are listening, have been there when someone is about to die. There's something special that's going on. There's a continence. And I had put a picture of my grandfather, who died of Alzheimer's, at the foot of the bed. So every morning when she woke up, she would see her father. And... I don't care what anyone else says. I, I believe in my heart that the spirit, I felt the spirit of my grandfather was in that room. And I realized, wow, something's happening. And so my mom was laid down. I was in the chair next to her and I held her hand and her hands because she was quivering and put it on. And we talked briefly 
but she was talking from the heart. Says her brain was gone. She remembered my name from her heart. She learned to speak from her heart, and I think in life we learn to we need to seek out the heart, which I believe is the place of the soul. And I waited till she fell asleep, and I kissed her on the forehead. Seconds later, her eyes opened wide. Excuse me, and she said. Greg, where are you going? I realized the moment was at hand. And I said, Mom, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to ride this one out together. And I stayed next to her um, until she closed her eyes. I kissed her on the forehead, and she never woke up again. She spoke from the heart in the end. Fast forward months or whatever it was later, I was blessed to ask by the Alzheimer's Association to speak out in Hollywood. Um, it's called a night at Sardis. Um, it was the Hollywood's big Alzheimer's event, all the top Emmy award, Oscar. Um, what do they call them when you win something on Broadway? Tony award, uh, yeah. a thousand of them. And, uh, I was the keynote Alzheimer's speaker and they were speaking and having entertainment later, but, so they brought me up on the stage and I'm backstage and I was really nervous. Normally I'm nervous about a lot of things, but I'm not nervous when I write or speak because I always have a prepared speech. I can't do it without that. And I looked up at heaven and I said, um, mom, this is for you. And, um, I heard in my heart again, this is just what I heard. You rock this, Greg, you just rock it. And I went out there in front of a thousand Hollywood people, scared shitless, and I rocked it with my prepared speech. And as I was doing it, which is really cool, there was a woman standing behind me, and she made me feel really comfortable in the moment. She made me feel very special, made me feel very, very encouraged. And I wanted to turn around and see who it was, but I just felt, felt stay focused. And so at the end of my speech, when you start to say, I want to thank so-and-so, a thousand Hollywood people stood up in a standing ovation. And I was crying, and, and some of them were crying. And, um, and, and, and when I turned around to thank the woman, she was gone. And I walked back to our table, a table of tens all throughout. And um, I turned to my wife, and I said, um, Mary Catherine, who, who was the woman standing behind me? She was so special, so comforting, so encouraging. She made me feel so special in the moment. Who was it? And my wife said, what? I said, who was the woman standing behind me? She was so special. She was so encouraging. She made me feel loved. Who was it? Greg, there was no woman. I turned around to 10 people at that table and I said, who was that woman standing behind me? Who was that woman? Greg, there was no woman. And I believe the spirit of my mother, and maybe the spirit of thousands of others who've died of this disease were on stage that night. So do you believe in angels? I do. Do you believe in speaking from your heart? I do. You know, Greg, you did this speech, this talk, with, without a prepared speech. And we are very grateful that you both took this time and that you are 
are doing the forgetting each week because there are so many people that are either caring for someone or are, are dealing with this themselves and you're, you give them a place to be where, where they realize that other people may be going through the same kind of thing. Thank well, you so I'm, I'm, much. As I said before, I'm not doing this alone through the grace of God. I have spoken about all this before, and these moments are burned inside me about my mother. And they will, maybe until the time I leave, they will never leave me because I don't want them to. We should thank your mother for having you. We should also thank your family for the, their generous support and, and, uh, and thank uh, CAI, NPR, and, and all the people that I should have on that list, uh, but the, I'll get the hook. Um, Sean, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for asking us. And people, you can just find the podcast. You can go into Google and look up the Forgetting Podcast, and it will come up or iTunes, or Stitcher, whatever it takes. And you also, in addition to having the pleasure of Greg's company and David's company, um, you will you will get to hear from some of the leading researchers in, in the Alzheimer's not industry, but in the Alzheimer's world. Uh, Dr. Rudy Tanzi from, from Mass General and uh, um, uh, Lisa Genova, who writes about uh, brain diseases. Uh, they all come on and, and talk with you guys. It's a good place to be. And thank you. I'm sorry I didn't get to all the questions today. We'll try to get them answered uh, on the computer. But thank you very much for joining us. And look for a story Friday about living with Alzheimer's based on our conversation. Um, thanks, guys. See you next week.